Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Wine and Crime, the podcast where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesotan accents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're watching the video, episode, <laughs> if you're watching the video episode of this on Patreon, Amanda has a mask as like a cone head on her head. <laughs> she looks like an old timey nurse, and she's literally nursing a bottle. Of I'm wine. burping her. She's burping a baby bottle of wine, a bouncing baby bottle. If of you're wine. watching it, oh, Amanda has lost her fucking mind. <laughs> we really hit today that was part. It. I broke my nail today. Yeah. She shows just indignantly to There's the, the comparison shot. Looks like a bloody stump. It's really embarrassing. Put it's it away. Horrifying. Your so. one horrifying nail looks better than any of my ten nails. Right yeah. Now. <laughs> That's, kind of, I That's am kind of you to say as I cling to sanity by a literal thread. <laughs> Some may say that thread broke. Mercury's in retrograde, you know? Sure is. I hear. And what really is the difference between a month and an hour? And a year. And a year. (sighs) Speaking of, it may not be your day, your week, your month, or even your year. (laughs) We... Have a a very special fanfic. We have a very special fan pick this week. Oh, who are you though? Oh fuck it. I'm Kenyon. Whatever. (laughs) Lucy. eh. (laughs) Nurse Amanda Ratchet over there. (laughs) I took a sip of my Arnie Palmer right when you did that. (laughs) She's still rocking that baby. I don't want kids, but this feels so yeah, you're like good. really good at it. Yeah, I am actually quite. You're good like at a it. wet nurse. I am. I will <laughs> gladly be your wet nurse, you're but I will not be nurse. sober for it. <laughs> I am electively barren. Let me just say, an electively barren <laughs> wet nurse. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh shh shh shh. She's so so good and maternal. It's like really odd. Okay. I'm so distracted. Okay. I'm lactating. (laughs) The sooner I open it, the sooner this fantasy ends. (laughs) We'll get you a baby doll. We'll send you another Shannon. Send you one of those rubber grief babies. I do have a box of, oh God. I do have a box of a bunch of Bill's childhood beanie babies. (laughs) I'm going to start just hiding those around my office. So you could just Bill like see kept them in the his beanie Bill's mother Bill did. Had beanie babies. And his parents dropped them off for us when we moved into this house. <laughs> and I was like, we're keeping them for the one time a year kids visit. And I love them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's why we're keeping them. Right, right, right. right, right, right <laughs> They're going to be worth oh, something someday. Shh. Sh- sh- <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Sorry. <laughs> we. <laughs> We have a very special fan pick brought to you by Lexi Haranda. Nice uh, job, Lexi. Yeah, hats off, Haranda. 
Masks <laughs> off. <laughs> and Lexi has selected the topic of paleontology problems. Ooh. Which reminded me of Ross Geller, which reminded oh. me of Friends at the top, but then we got very sidetracked. That's and it was a stretch to begin with. My mask is with. now officially tangled in the wiring of my headphones. So <laughs> things are going now. really well over here. It's fine. <laughs> This is we, now you're a diner worker. <laughs> Should we start over? No. A little paper hat. Keep all of this. This lives here now. I can't get it off. Um, it's an earring that catches a lot of wind. <laughs> Count me in. It's a spinnaker. I've lost my fucking mind. We're all fucking loopy. Okay. I'm, uh, okay. What What the fuck is our wine crime pairing for? Just well, fucking get on with in it. In a bigger stretch than the Ross Geller reference, <laughs> I have paired Saltwater Farm, Cab Franc, and Merlot. Blend. I thought it was going to be a Ross Sellers wine. That would be so good. No. Um, but I chose this wine because it has a bird on it. And paleontologists deal with dinosaurs or whatever. And birds are dinosaurs. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. That okay. makes sense to me. Thank I'm, you. I'm I here fucking for it. nailed it. Saltwater has would have been a better link, but. How? How? Wait till you get to my case. Yeah, We'll get to it. Oh, we will get to how dinosaurs are birds. So, (laughs) she's dry yet rich goals with a hint of smoky cigar box and the nose. This blend boasts flavors of black cherry, red currant, and dark chocolate, rounded out with the smooth sophistication of Merlot. It's aged in French oak. And 12.5% ABV. So you can and should order this wine if you live in Connecticut, where this vineyard is located. Hmm. Minnesota. Six pounds, eight ounces. I wish. (laughs) Oh, my God. Can you imagine a wine bottle that big? I need it. Yes, you stole it from the Olive Garden that one time after your grandma's funeral. You're right. I did do that. It was my dad's funeral, but yeah, I did do that. Oh, right. Wrong funeral. (laughs) If you live in Minnesota, <laughs> Connecticut, Florida, or Washington, they ship to your state. More states are being added soon. So check them out at saltwaterfarmvineyard.com. I like it. She's a popper, so I have already inserted my nice pop wine key. <laughs> Premature. Prematurely. Shall we pay? <laughs> you can't help it. I can't help it. Here we go. Oh, my God. I'm not going to make the mistake I made last time and spill all over myself because I really like this sweater. Yeah, yeah it's white. white. I'm wearing a I'm white an idiot. sweater. Here we go. It's good. <laughs> I'm sure you're not going to spill. It's going or great so far. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Fucking crushed. Insanity Amanda is way, way better coordinated. <laughs> More capable. Yeah. yeah, it's bringing you back to your restaurant days. Yeah, it is, where I'm just surviving on a wig and a prayer. <laughs> well, nice a wig pop. and a prayer. A wig and a prayer. <laughs> a wig and a hair. Oh, yeah, nice pop. Nice pop. Oh, right. That. <laughs> okay, fuck it. Uh, Lucy, what is our... Background and maybe psych for <laughs> paleontology problems. 
God, we're so good at our jobs. <laughs> oh, that's good. All right. Mm. Oh, cheers. Oh, yeah. Well. Cheers. Yeah, that. Mm, I'm drinking whatever. water. <laughs> Paleontology is the. <laughs> I'm trying to quit. <laughs> <sighs> Paleontology is the scientific study of life of the geologic past that involves the analysis of plant and animal fossils, including those of microscopic size preserved in rocks. Fucking okay. fossils. It's my segment. So it's not Dinosaur. just dinosaurs. It's not what? It's not just dinosaurs. No. It's all manner of organic material. Yeah, fossilized. We'll get to it. I have quite animal, a bit more to discuss. Mineral okay. tree trunks. It looks at life that exists. <laughs> tree trunks. <laughs> it looks at life that existed prior to and sometimes including the start of the Holocene epoch, which is roughly 11,700 years ago. And the Holocene is the current geological epoch beginning after the last glacial period. All right, so, so we're, we're in nice. the Holocene, people. Uh-huh. And we can basically see and study things from the entire evolutionary history of life on Earth dating back almost to the time when Earth was capable of supporting life, which was some 3.8 billion years ago. It's just Dude. wild that we can know that. Actually, I have two charts on the drive, which will be on the blog. One kind of shows not even humans, but like hominids mm-hmm. or uh, what is it? Homins? Homo habilis? Homini? A- anything from like early apes to Homini. modern human. Chimpanzee mm-hmm. split. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then looking at that mostly orange graph and then yeah. look at the next one that has a bunch of blue in there mm-hmm. that dates back to like before water existed yeah so I it's just remember. that tiny little orange stripe at the top where anything closely resembling humans i feel started. like this might be a display at the observatory oh, in yeah. los angeles but it's like that wall where they have all these like brooches and and recycled jewelry mm-hmm. That makes like the timeline of like the Earth's existence from the Big Bang all the way to now. And humans take up like a tiny, tiny, it's like one pearl earring. Yeah. 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 It was, it's really wild to see it laid out like that. And this hallway is many yards long. Yeah. It's the cradle of, um, I don't know if they call it mankind or human. It's probably humankind, whatever. It's outside of Johannesburg and they found like a very old. I don't know, whatever, homo sapien, I guess, mm-hmm. fossil thing. I'm clearly an expert. Nailing it. I thought that <laughs> cradle of humanity was like Northeast Africa. Well, like there's, a, little there's a site and a museum co- that is mm. called the Cradle of Humankind oh, outside okay. of Johannesburg. So that's the one that I went to because it was like 30 minutes from my house. But they have a chart like that too, where it's like this spiral wraparound hallway. Yeah, that shows so you can like really feel how insignificant we yeah. are. Yeah, it's yeah. like the Guggenheim just spiraling up and up and up, and then like the last fingernails worth yeah. of a section is modern humans. Yeah. We so don't matter. No, don't matter. And we're For ruining s- everything on our way out. Yeah. Great. We're flouncing. Yeah. I mean, everything is gonna get ruined no matter what. Right. We're just expediting the process. Yeah. Yeah. We're like, great. Our children and grandchildren will have a much shittier existence. Oh yeah. 
versus I'm glad like that I re-upped my anxiety meds today. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> this is... It's going really well. No notes. Sometimes the insignificance of life makes me happier yeah oh it's a relief mm-hmm. yeah for sure but also it's not it's not just the fact that we as humans are completely insignificant mm-hmm. but it's more trying to wrap my head around the history of the galaxy oh yeah that's, that that's is like terrifying it's not depressing and it's not anxiety inducing it's just like there's probably a German word else. for it. Yeah, it's There's probably too big. a German word. It's like dread and awe and like Drugenheim. all sorts of things wrapped into one. Yeah. But it's not not dread. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. Anyway. I do. Everything's dust. Let's You're doing on. great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No notes. You know that I love my etymology. It's mm-hmm. one of the few things that bring me brings me joy. The term paleontology originates from Greek, three Greek words, the first of which is paleos, paleos, which means old or ancient. Okay. The word on, which means being or creature. And then the word logos, which of course is speech, thought, or study. So it's basically old creature study. Oh, I like that. I know. That's helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Paleontology involves the study of fossils to classify organisms and study interactions with each other and their environments, which is known as their paleo- paleocology. So that's okay. how they how they interact with their environment. It also studies their shape, structure, evolutionary patterns, geographic distribution, and taxonomic relationships with each other. There are three main elements of paleontology. We have the description of past phenomena. Mm-hmm. developing a general theory about the causes of various types of change and applying those theories to specific facts. So they're basically like crime scene investigators. They look at what happened, how it happened, develop a theory, and then try to apply that theory to modern ideas of evolution or... See if it sticks. Yeah. Yeah. So basically where sticks. they got the idea for like the big meteor hitting. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yes, Exactly. A paleontologist should also have a pretty damn good grasp of historical geology and stratigraphy, which is the study of rock successions and their interpretation in terms of a general time scale. So I don't know if you ever took a geology class in college. No. <laughs> sure did. I did. Okay. And it was awful. Mm. Yeah. Our final was literally going into the lab and there was a table full of random rocks strewn around and you had to identify each rock oh but now you love rocks yeah, i don't and crystals. hate that but i just want to collect them and identify their healing capabilities and right. not I, I like crystals especially yeah. when it's like so subjective that you can just like make shit up mm-hmm. like what is this i don't know it looks like a turtle shell i love it it's turtle white <laughs> what's turtle this light. i think it's tiger eye love it Blood on the moon. Where's my tiger's eye? Don't know what this is. It doesn't make me feel good. Don't love it. (laughs) Not getting good vibes off of this rock. This might be obsidian. Might love it. Don't know. Those are just the rocks that I have on my desk. I don't have rocks on my desk, but I do have these vertebrae. Kenyon gave (gasps) me this rock. Where'd you get those? I got got these with you when. um, Oh, I like that. Did we get those in New Orleans? Uh, I don't know. We've been to so many creepy stores. That's true. 
Maybe together. they're from, oh, they might be from that oddity store in Texas. The yeah. place that burned down, the place in Houston. Wait, it burned down? Yeah, honey. I covered it in a GAC episode. It burned yeah. down. It's that same oh. place I got my backpack? Yeah. I didn't yeah, pay attention down. enough to make that connection. It's all right. You're playing Animal Crossing. I get it. I'm okay. Sad. Anyway, yeah, but geology, like my geology final, it wasn't all pretty crystals that I could mm-hmm. be like, you know, Labradorite. Right. <laughs> Calcite. It was like ugly rocks that you had to like scrape and determine their cleavage and blah, Ish. blah, blah. Blech. No. It's foul. It, I know. It's gross. Yeah. Not into it. Paleontology combines geology and biology, but it is different from archaeology because archaeology is the study of humans, human activity. Mm. Paleontology does not involve the study of anatomically modern humans. So we can okay. sort of incorporate like early hominids, like so like pithecines or whatever the fuck they're called. Like, an really archaeological old. dig isn't for dinosaurs. It's for like early human civilization, which is probably why you see that so often portrayed in like movies with like an Egyptian yeah, the dig mummy. site where they're finding. Yeah, that's yeah. archaeology. Right. Paleontology is not always dinosaurs, but it would but be like pre- more pre-humanity, pre-hominid. Pre, well, pre-modern humid. Humid. Sure. Human. <laughs> I'm wow. I just assumed like that every dig is an archaeological dig, and that's just mm-hmm. what they call it. Archaeology refers to specifically modern humans Boy, and their I'm activities. Boy, I'm a fucking idiot. That wow. I like that. Yeah, and paleontology is just the study of all the other organic mm-hmm. life. Shit. Yeah, all the mm-hmm. other shit. I did recently watch The Dig on Netflix, and it was very entertaining. <gasps> I've been wanting I don't to watch. Even know that. what that is? It's quite good. It's well, with Carrie Mulligan. In, I should have watched oh. that in preparation for this episode. I'm getting it's all archaeology, up in that. not paleontology. Yeah. Um, what's the one about? There's like it's like Kate Winslet, and they're like lesbians i think that's about paleontology not ringing a bell no nope, but, but i my am cu- my interest very is curious peaked. yeah <laughs> <laughs> i am bi curious about this hold Kate on winslet is Kate the grown winslet woman's movie. Kristen stewart mm-hmm. it's called ammonite i think oh yeah ammonite yes okay haven't seen it know about it yes. so an ammonite is one of those uh, curly cues, those the, the 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 ones that you frequently see split in half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a little smooth little snail, colorful snail. Sure, 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 sure. That's what an yeah. ammonite is. So that would be paleontology. Got it. And okay. also hot. So <laughs> I have plans for tonight. So maybe into it. <laughs> so <laughs> let's wrap this up. <laughs> let's get this over with. Okay. <laughs> paleontology also involves, to varying degrees, engineering, math, and biochemistry. I could never be a paleontologist. Yeah, no. no. This is way too many specialties rolled into one to qualify, so this, I'm yeah. fully out. Also, mm-hmm. the reason why I was turned off from going to more into mortuary science, because there's too much, too science. much lot of science. science. It's too much science and not enough mortuary, and I totally get it. Yeah, <laughs> I know you do. I feel that. Paleontology has played a key role in reconstructing Earth's history and has provided much evidence to support the theory of evolution. Sure. Like it or not, evangelicals. Yep. 
Data from paleontological studies, moreover, have aided petroleum geologists in locating deposits of oil and natural gas. Mm-hmm. So, so occurrence- Mama can have her Vaseline. Mm-hmm. How and did car you know? and lights. Oh, because <laughs> same. Kenyon, where's your Vaseline? Uh, I don't have, I have birds. Is that the aloe? Do you have the aloe Vaseline? I have, this one's the lip therapy vanilla cream latte <gasps> that my mom got me for Christmas. I have both, Kenyon. (laughs) (laughs) The aloe lip therapy Vaseline smells good, feels Mm. even better. Love Mm. it. Highly recommend the aloe. I can't really use petroleum products on my lips. Why? I had a a Blistex allergic reaction. Blistex is like medicated, though, and it's weird. You should try just Vaseline. Yeah. It's way better. Blistex like burns my face. Yeah. Blistex is really intense. Get your so, vas on. Get your vas deference on. <laughs> it will deferensely change your life. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like what I have isn't that vastly different. I mean, <laughs> debatable. Jury's out. <laughs> okay, so the occurrence of such fossil fuels is frequently associated with the presence of the remains of certain ancient life forms. So really, we have paleontology to thank for literally our entire modern global way of living. Mm. And gasoline is like a byproduct of dinosaur bones. Mm. That can't be good. Yeah, that's really, it is bad. It's bad. It's really bad. We have documented paleontological observations beginning as far back as 500 B.C. And it, it wasn't until 1815 that it was established as a science And I clearly forgot to finish this paragraph in my notes because I didn't mention the two white guys who started it. One, don't remember the names, so sorry. One was (laughs) an archaeologist and one was a zoologist. And they were just kind of like, eh, let's combine these because Mm. it's clearly like its own separate discipline. So there we go. That was in 1815. Cool. I knew I was forgetting something. And thus, Zorkiology was born. Zorkiology. <laughs> if only. Don't at the me. The study of Zorks. So paleontology is mostly about fossils, but it's not entirely about fossils. But So what they, what they look at is called sources of evidence. And there are three main sources of evidence. And this is according to Wikipedia. The first of which is body fossils. These are fossils of organisms' bodies that are usually the most informative type of evidence. The most common types are wood, bones, and shells. Tree trunks. Tree trunks. Fossilization is a rare event, and most fossils are destroyed by erosion or metamorphism before they can be observed. Hence, the fossil record is very incomplete, increasingly so further back in time, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Only the parts of organisms that were already mineralized are usually preserved, such as the shells of mollusks. So not the, like, tissues and whatever, the stuff that decomposes right away. Yes, but there are, we'll get to that. There are occasions when that soft tissue is preserved in very specific circumstances. Okay. Okay. Because most animal species are soft-bodied, they decay before they can become fossilized in most cases. Although there are 30-plus phyla of living animals, two-thirds of those have never been found as fossils. Oh. So we're, we're making a lot of assumptions about 
previous evolutionary steps for most animals that we know existed. So the animals that currently exist on the Earth, so we know that they exist, Mm -hmm. we don't have fossils of them. Not all of them. Or we know that they must have evolved, like, okay, let's just say we're looking at alligators. We know Mm -hmm. that there were dinosaurs mm-hmm. and then we know that there are currently alligators and that there so are similarities know, so we know that there was an evolution that was mm-hmm. something between a dinosaur and an alligator an alligator is a bad example let's right. say a bird a chicken a bird yeah we know that there was an evolution between that dinosaur and today's modern bird but we may only have fossil evidence of that evolution maybe like two, like two or three things we have right. to make assumptions about right. A lot of filling in the blanks. Yeah, There's a lot of gaps. Right. But something that does help us out with that is what's called trace fossils. And these consist mainly of tracks and burrows, but also include coprolite. Coprolites. Hey, that's poop. Which is poop. Fossilized poop. I bought at a fossil show. Mine's upstairs. I have some A little corporate or whatever for Bill. And gave it to him with a note that said, I give a shit about you. Oh, my God. I remember you got that for it. And he kept it in his kitchen. Now it's, I think it's still in our kitchen. It's somewhere. It might be in his office. It might not be the best kitchen piece. But who am I to judge? It's still festering. It's fossilized (laughs) shit. I have a fossilized pigeon. In my... You have a petrified That is not fossilized. Petrified. Honey, she's (laughs) not fossilized. (laughs) Sir, I go from petrified to fossilized. your pigeon. (laughs) You'll be waiting a while for that to be fossilized and... Not in your lifetime, honey. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) She's so sassy. Can I turn the pigeon into like a diamond? Yes. You can pretty much compress anything into any carbon-based thing into a dust that yeah. then could be recreated into a gemstone. I know people who have done that with the ashes mm. of their loved ones. Yeah. Maybe That's I'll do that I'm with Pidge. Mm. It'd be a very small diamond. Mm. Your little Pidge. Also, trace fossils can be marks left by feeding. So if you had evidence of a tree that had like scrapes on it and you knew that it was a, at a certain height, then you could kind of... Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. A point. They ate some, this. They mm-hmm. ate this, or they were climbing up this tree to get whatever fruit the tree mm-hmm. produced, whatever. And like a fossilized claw mm-hmm. mark that mm-hmm. maybe matches an existing fossilized claw mm-hmm. could then be a puzzle piece that's like, oh, these were commonly found in these areas. These animals probably mm-hmm. ate this thing. Mm-hmm. Which exactly. is like still a lot of guesswork, but it's mm-hmm. like pretty. The gaps are showing a clear, pa- a clear mm-hmm. enough path yeah. that we can deduce with some certainty the most likely progress of mm-hmm. the yep. evolution. We know it's a possibility. We don't know maybe all the details, and we could be wrong. But if it was like two billion years ago, mm-hmm. what's the harm in guessing? Mm-hmm. DM me those sweet deeds on that mm-hmm. dinosaur tea. Oh, wow. Trace fossils are particularly significant because they represent a data source that is not limited to animals with easily fossilized hard parts. Mm. So it can Mm -hmm. be an animal that is entirely composed of soft parts, like an earthworm. Mm. And these trace fossils also reflect organisms' behaviors. I need a fossilized earthworm gym for my collection. (laughs) Well, you're not going to find one. 
Well, well you might find one. Very upsetting. <laughs> we'll get to it. We'll get you to might it. find a burrow. I might find you an might impression find in a solid something or other. Mm-hmm. Yes, you could find a trace fossilized impression of an earthworm. Yeah. The other source of evidence is called geochemical observations. And these may help to deduce the global level of biological activity at a certain period or the affinity of certain fossils. For example, geochemical features of rocks may reveal when life first arose on Earth and may provide evidence of the presence of eukaryotic cells, which is the type from which all multicellular organisms are built. So really, eukaryotic cells, the absolute basis for life mm-hmm. on Earth anyway. That's okay. wild. Well, multicellular life. Okay. But if they can if they can determine that those cells existed at this time, then they'll be like, oh, well, probably. Actually, the Earth is older than we thought. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Analysis, analyses of carbon isotope ratios may help to explain major transitions such as the Permian-Triassic extinction event, a.k.a. the Great Dying. Oh, such a good band name. Yeah, mm. and sad. Yeah. Well, that kind of happened over like kind of a long period of time, so it wasn't like a poof, everyone's dead. I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know which one I'd prefer if I'm thinking about it. Yeah. I don't know. Everything is dust. Wait right. till I pick up my meds before we wrap. Yeah. <laughs> circle, yeah, yeah, circle yeah. back to this. We don't have to answer that today. No, we don't. Next or, session. Yep. Okay. Table so, that. I can hardly wrap my brain around how fossilization works, so I Googled it. Because I know, like, fossils exist. I know the basics behind it. A pigeon it. gets stuck. In a chimney. In a chimney. And then it's yes. shot back out. And then, like, a hundred years later, <laughs> it falls down, and it's, like, still pretty solid. And voila. I don't think <laughs> that pigeon is more than that 25 years old. Max. You don't know. It's petrified. Is it actually petrified? You wouldn't yeah. let me touch it. We uh, brought it to the taxidermist, and he was like, "Yeah, uh, there's nothing more I can." I think he do was referencing this. the scared look on its face, <laughs> and not an actual. Like oh my god, it's petrified! <laughs> it kind of does because its neck is askew. Oh, pitch broken. You mean? <laughs> A skew is My a nice neck. way to say that pigeon it's snapped got, its, its neck in your a, chimney and then died there. Its head was dislocated. It's got a small crick in its neck. <laughs> it needs a dry needler. Yep, just needs to go see... My dry needler. Just needs one of those power massage guns, but like <sighs> pigeon sized. Mm. <laughs> My brother-in-law got one for Christmas mm-hmm. and it just looks like a really... Mm-hmm. A aggressive sex toy. Mm-hmm. There she is. Really aggressive. It's it has great. like different. Do you have it's one? Great. Oh yeah. It has like rubber, different shaped and sized mm-hmm. rubber like pistons that you can attach on. It's great, and it just punches your body really strongly. Yeah, of it's course gr- you have one. It's. Great. I don't know why I even asked. Okay, so this is to kind of answer some more questions about fossilization in terms of soft tissue. And this is from a live science article. Freezing, drying, and encasement, such as in tar or resin, or mudslides in a lot of cases, Mm -hmm. can create whole body fossils that preserve bodily tissues, those soft tissues. 
These fossils represent the organisms as they were when they were living, but these types of fossils are very rare. So these are like the Mac Daddy of fossils because you get the whole thing. The whole, the whole picture. Thing. So would like bugs trapped in amber fall under this category then? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that would be an example of resin. And like the tar pits. I feel like they've found dinosaurs and shit in tar pits. Yeah, are those like woolly mammoths that are like so well encased in ice in the whatevers that they're like, that you can still see all the fur and shit? Yeah, yeah. And like these kind of specimens are, I believe, how scientists or paleontologists first discovered that dinosaurs had feathers. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because they could see. We'll kind of get to it. What a fucking mind-blowing thing that would be. I know giant chicken's that can eat you in one bite will get are to really it. Really terrifying. Chickens are in disgusting fairness. and delicious. Okay. <laughs> Most organisms become fossils when they're changed through various other means. So the, that that first category is very rare, I think mm-hmm. as I stated. The heat and pressure from being buried in sediment can sometimes cause the tissues of organisms, including plant leaves and the soft body parts of fish, reptiles and marine invertebrates. So the heat and pressure from being buried of really soft things like that causes the tissue to release hydrogen and oxygen, leaving behind a residue of carbon. This process, which is called carbonization or distillation, yields a detailed carbon impression of the dead organism in sedimentary rock. Wow. Okay. So that's kind of when you get... So they get pressed so much that then they kind of go... And then that poof is in the shape of carbon. Yeah, it's not like pre- it's not necessarily like pr- the pressure that poofs it. It's like the time, the heat. It just en- <laughs> it encases it. I feel like we get almost there. <laughs> we're like we're getting it. Am I wrong? And then I'm not saying you're wrong. I think you're probably absolutely right. I'm saying our lines collectively as the three of us to understanding <laughs> are so fucking stupid. <laughs> well, that's why I had to like Google it's like just... what is fossil? <laughs> it it just gets me every time without fail. I know. Fail. Every time it gets me. We're it's going to be so hard if we have scientists. children someday or some of us do and they ask questions and it's Cats like and wigs. I it don't poofs. know. <laughs> it doesn't what I would say it doesn't poof from the pressure specifically it poofs because of the pressure the time and <laughs> and that it's encased so it's got to it's got to go somewhere it's sure, sure, kind of sure, sure, like sure. I'm a fossil Yeah there's now. expansion that also probably creates the impression Somebody is screaming in their car right now and, you know and, what? and going Don't to email DM us. us Don't <laughs> yeah. at me we don't we're care that the we're that. We can. We're probably pretty as far much off. as we can be expected to. Yeah, I we're bet actually you know- fucking nailing this, considering <laughs> how incredibly dumb the three of us actually <laughs> For are. For every one person who's screaming, you fucking morons, there are probably <laughs> ten people who are like, oh. They're getting it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what? Yeah. You're, You're welcome. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Suck my nail stump. No, uh, ew. Well. <laughs> okay, so it poofs. So it poofs. That's A chemistry occurs. A chemistry occurs, literally. Mm-hmm. The most common method of fossilization is called permineralization or petrification. After an organism 
petrified. There we go. So Ask wait, her. it is a fossil. That is a form of fossilization. No, that's why I questioned whether that pigeon was actually petrified because according to this definition, she ain't. Hmm. <laughs> After an organism's soft tissue decay in sediment, the hard parts, particularly the bones, are left behind. Water That's seeps into the remains and minerals dissolved in the water seep into the spaces within the remains where they form crystals. These crystallized minerals cause the remains to harden along with the encasing sedimentary rock. Okay, that's very different than what's happened with Pidge. I know. That's poor. why I questioned you. <laughs> poor Pidge. Poor Pidge. Poor, poor Pidge. In another fossilization process called replacement, the minerals in groundwater replace the minerals that make up the bodily remains after the water completely dissolves the original hard parts of the organism. Fossils can also form from molds and casts. So if, if an organism completely dissolves in sedimentary rock, it can leave an impression of its of its exterior in the rock called an external mold. It's a fucking mold. We all know yeah, what a mold Yeah, and then is. that fills up with other shit. That mold gets filled with other minerals and then it becomes a cast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. An internal mold forms when sediments or minerals fill the internal cavity, such as mm. a shell or a skull of an organism, and then the remains dissolve around it. So basically oh. papier-mâché. Papier-mâché. Yes. Papier-mâché I mean, would be like a mold and an internal mold would be... If you did like a papier-mâché balloon. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. So anyway, there's nailed, lots of different ways that fossils can occur, <laughs> can develop. Mm -hmm. It's not just it's not just one thing. Okay, so I want to close this out a little bit because when we were talking about, I think we were talking about the archaeology mm -hmm. episode. We were talking about Jurassic Park mm -hmm. and like who was an archaeologist, who was a paleontologist, blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. So I googled it. Dr. Alan Grant, portrayed by our friend Sam Neill, who came up in the last, last episode. episode. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, not Let's, last episode. The Napoleon episode. And also not our friend, but I mean. Sam Neill is our friend. Guys. That guy, the Russian guy, not our friend. Right. Russian guy sucks. Sam Neill. Great. Kind of my first daddy crush mm -hmm. of my life. Yeah, I can see that. Daddy long legs. So Dr. Alan Grant was the paleontologist in Jurassic Park, and his character was inspired by actual paleontologist Jack Horner, wow. who served as the science advisor to the first few Jurassic Park films. Oh. And I read a whole interview with him, and I just pulled out some gems because he's just, you know, I love my nerdy old men. I just I fall in love with do. them. I know you do. Dr. Lee. Dr. Lee. Dr. Prosser, spooky little bitch. Jesus, yep. oh, the OG. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you love a doctor daddy. I love a doctor daddy. Mm -hmm. So here is an excerpt from an interview with Jack Horner from NBC. The question is, did you ever object to the ways the dinosaurs were portrayed in the movies? And he said, yes. In the kitchen scene, Steven Spielberg and visual <laughs> effects producer Phil Tippett had decided on having the raptors enter the kitchen and wave their forked tongues around like snakes. Mm. I told them that there was no possible way dinosaurs would or could do that because they didn't have forked tongues. Get it. I also mentioned that by giving them forked tongues, they were adding to the notion, the stigma, mm -hmm. that dinosaurs were more like their cold-blooded relatives such as lizards than their warm-blooded relatives such as birds. Mm -hmm. Redo Jurassic Park, but make it all 
kill birds. Right. And get fucking feathers. What's his name? Unless they Chris, are doing that. I'm not Chris up to that. Out of there. Oh. oh, no. These are just like the first two oh, no, or I know. three movies. So the first one, I think, was released in like 1991-ish. Mm-hmm. So keep in mind. up, though. It was like 30 fucking years ago. I don't want to so talk they, about it. They didn't know for sure. About the they, well, they didn't know as much about dinosaurs then as they do now. Well, and mm-hmm. the, we'll kind of get to it in my case, but like the feather and the bird connection was like a huge discovery in like mm-hmm. 1996. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I remember so talking it's like about just that. outside of mm-hmm. that production time. Steven mm-hmm. Spielberg's at home just like pissed, raising his <laughs> fist in anger. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So back to this beautiful man's quote. Okay, so he's like, no, no, if they had forked tongues, people are going to see them more like scary lizards mm-hmm. than warm-blooded birds mm-hmm. as he knew them to be. Mm-hmm. Stephen agreed to change that Stephen. In its place, the raptors come to the kitchen door and snort, fogging up the window as only a warm-blooded animal can do. Wow, and that's such an iconic moment. That was the scariest, but them fogging up the windows with their nose. Yeah. That's fucking freaky. Oh, wow. Okay. So that holds up. Yep. He also disclosed- a chicken fog up a window? Yeah. They're warm-blooded. They're warm-blooded. They have a little snoot. Little snoot holes. Yeah. Ray warmed up my, he fogged up my water glass when he was drinking out of it earlier today. If you've seen my Instagram Probably easier for her to picture a cat doing it with a mouth and a nose than a bird with a beak. Yeah, that was the the problem for me. Girl, I got you. Well, check my Instagram story (laughs) during our break. (laughs) Your cats don't have beaks. Birds are really freaky to me. I know, they're disgusting. He also disclosed that we can't actually clone dinosaurs the way they did it in the movie with the mosquito and the amber. Thank Rude. God. Okay. Because I mean, thank God. I, I want was, like, Jurassic worried Park about to be that. real. <laughs> <laughs> it's kept Kenyon up at night until yeah. this moment. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> A huge weight has just been lifted off my shoulders. You're an adult woman. I'm so relieved. <laughs> thank God. She falls to the floor. (laughs) Oh my God, you are hilarious. And it's because we don't have any live dinosaur DNA. The fucking DNA in that mosquito, not alive. It's like a trillion years old. I don't know what you're talking about. And that matters because. Yeah, right? Connect those dots. (laughs) Who cares? Okay, at some point, once we can reanimate dead DNA. (laughs) Well, Frankenstein did it. We also can't actually form a full live animal from just their DNA. We have no fucking idea about. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. Now, with that attitude, you can't. Okay. Just pull it. Maybe in like six to be a years door. we can. Because there's like a big difference between 1991 and then. Well, I did have a caveat that said we can't do it right now. Okay. Love that. I love that. Who knows that. what next week will bring? Oh, my God. God. What fresh hell. I don't what want fresh to think hell. Of- what fresh hell. What fresh hell 
the next Wednesday will bring yeah. because I saw a meme that was like the four Wednesdays in January of the were apocalypse. insurrection, articles of impeachment, Joe Biden getting sworn in, and the GameStop thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, inauguration oh, yeah. and in, inauguration in, and GameStop investors take over. Yeah, I'm ready for an uneventful Wednesday. I'm ready for a long nap. Okay. <laughs> And but just if we get dinosaurs next week, I'm also not going to be that upset about Kenyan it. Kenyon will be. <laughs> I will have told Thank you so. God. I have one more little bit. <laughs> just because I love this man, here is just one more little excerpt because it's so sweet. Question is, if you were a dinosaur, which one would you be? Hmm. His answer. There's certainly a lot to be said about a Tyrannosaurus Rex or even a scavenging one. Because earlier in the interview, he was talking about how like T-Rexes were given all this credit for being like the king of dinosaurs. And he's mm-hmm. like, at best, they were scavengers. Like, settle down. <laughs> Relax. They were giant Relax. raccoons. They were giant raccoons. <laughs> okay, I love that. So he goes on to say, he's a scary looking dinosaur. He's got gigantic, 40 feet long, weighed probably somewhere around 10,000 pounds. On the other hand, little velociraptors, five of them could probably take a T-Rex down. Then again, a T-Rex could step on a velociraptor. There's advantages and disadvantages, but I would probably pick a duck-billed dinosaur in a giant herd. (laughs) You do love this man. Yeah. I like how he's like, T-Rex? Maybe. Velociraptor? Maybe. Maybe. I'm going to go with the duck-billed. (laughs) Duck-billed giant herd. I just want to be a deer. Yep. Yep, I am here to make friends. <laughs> I'm a okay. Hufflepuff. Y- yep. Yeah. And I'm not ashamed. Jack Horner is a Hufflepuff. <laughs> oh, Bubby. Aren't I a Hufflepuff? Hufflepuff? What am I? No. No. You're like You're for sure a, a borderline Slytherin Ravenclaw. I am a borderline Slytherin Hufflepuff. Obviously. Am I a Ravenclaw Slytherin Rising? Probably. Yeah. I don't know what that means. But anyway, there's my segment. <laughs> All right. God bless. Well, well done. And also, we should probably shout out Stephen Ray Morris's podcast, See Jurassic Right. Because All about Jurassic Park. You're going to hear a lot more about Jurassic Park. Here Actually, if Stephen listens Park. to this episode, he'll probably be like, fucking crazy. Dinosaur <laughs> Defenders. <laughs> Dinosaur Defenders. Uh oh. Uh oh. All right. Here let's hear a Jurassic quick word from. Throw some bedding on a bunch of different mattresses and sure, they all look alike. Mm -hmm. The same goes for pillows. But peel away the layers, look at what's inside, and you'll see they are not all created equal. And that's what makes every (laughs) purple pillow and mattress unlike anything you've ever slept on. For real, though. I have uh, both the purple mattress and a purple pillow. And Zach is not allowed to use my purple pillow. He needs to get his own because it is my pride and joy. And I just sleep so much better on this mattress. The purple grid, the thing that sets purple mattress apart from every other mattress, is a patented comfort technology that instantly adapts to your body's natural shape and sleep style. So I am a curvaceous side sleeper that also likes to toss and turn. What She's up? a thrasher. I'm a thrasher. A roving maniac <laughs> in the night. <laughs> and shared a bed with this woman. It's, there's nothing healthy about it. <laughs> it's when I get 
most of my calories burned is <laughs> in my thrashing night, sleep. Night thrashing. <laughs> but not with purple because I'm just comfortable sleeping on my side. And with over 1,800 open-air channels designed to neutralize body heat, Purple provides a cooling effect that other mattresses can't replicate, so you're not That's going the best part. to sweat mm-hmm. through your pajamas. Best part, hands down. And this cutting-edge technology doesn't stop with the mattresses. Every Purple pillow is engineered with The Grid for total head and neck support and absolute airflow, so you're always on the cool side of the pillow. And Purple's proprietary technology has been innovating comfort for over 15 years. You guys, just run, don't walk. These mattresses are the best. I love them. Mm -hmm. And you can try every Purple product risk-free with free shipping and returns. And Purple has financing available as low as 0% APR for qualified customers. They sure do. Experience the Purple Grid and you'll sleep like never before. Go to purple.com slash gals10, that's G-A-L-S, one zero, and use promo code gals10. For a limited time, you'll get 10% off any order of $200 or more. That's purple.com slash gals10, promo code gals10, for 10% off any order of $200 or more. Terms apply. Treat your sleep. Treat it. Treat it. These days, travel looks different, Mm -hmm. but no matter where you need to go, Away offers a range of suitcases and other travel products made of different materials like polycarbonate, aluminum, durable nylon, hello. (laughs) Uh, They also have them in a variety of colors and sizes, so whatever you need to bring with you, Away has luggage that will help make your next trip more seamless. Mm -hmm. So I have not been on an airplane in a while, but we have been road tripping. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it's like harder to pack for a road trip somehow because you also have to deal with stowing the item Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so i am like so blessed to have away luggage you know i i can pack up my medium-sized bag which has become my go-to bag Mm -hmm. because it's like not too big but it fits all the things i need Mm -hmm. and then i can toss it in loretta the camper and no matter how much she's bouncing around on highway 94 (laughs) i get to my destination with my luggage and everything therein perfectly where I folded it and put it. Yeah. Like, not a scratch on it. So sturdy. And if there is a little scratch on it, it's so sturdy. And if there is a little scratch on it, it comes with a little buffer like sponge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I can just touch up my own bag. I mean, it's... I can't believe it. And all of the ways suitcases are designed to last a lifetime with durable exteriors that can withstand even the roughest of baggage handlers. And it turns out I am the roughest of baggage handlers, so I can tell you that this is true. Every suitcase comes with an interior organization system that includes a built-in compression pad to help you pack more in, Mm -hmm. and a hidden and removable laundry bag that separates your dirty clothes. This is huge, especially when you're road tripping, and for us, like we're going on a trip in March, and the first large portion of our drive is going to be cold weather, but then we're going to warm weather, so I need to pack a whole, like, 12 different climates Mm -hmm. of clothing, and I can fit all of it Mm -hmm. in my medium-sized bag. It's unbelievable. And then it also has the four 360-degree spinner wheels that guarantee the smoothest roll, even through the most hectic of airports and stations, or the most hectic of snow-covered streets that you're making (laughs) your partner drag your bag through to get it to the car. 
and it has a TSA-approved combination lock that keeps all of your belongings safe. We are mm. big fans of Away. Away Huge. products are designed to last a lifetime. If any part of your suitcase breaks, Away's standout customer service team will arrange to have it fixed or replaced. Their customer service is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. There's a 100-day trial on everything that Away makes. Take the product out on the road, live with it, travel with it, get lost with it for 100 days. If you decide it's not for you, you can return any non-personalized item for a full refund during that period. No ifs, ands, or asterisks. Away offers free shipping and return on any order within the contiguous United States, Europe, Canada, and Australia. That's a lot of area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So start your 100-day trial and shop the entire Away lineup of travel essentials, including their best-selling suitcases, at awaytravel.com slash winecrime20. That's awaytravel.com slash winecrime2020. And uh, that URL is case sensitive. So all of that is lowercase. One more time. Mm-hmm. Awaytravel.com slash winecrime20. Treat your travel. Treat it. All right, are we ready for my case? Yes. Probably not. All right, this was suggested by... <laughs> She's been a lot less dark recently, I feel like. Yeah, I've been... I've You're been like lulling cons- us into a, sol- a false sense of security, and today... You're going to hit us with something no, fucking awful. paleontology really problems. No, 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 I'm not this one. <laughs> Petrified children found in the basement. Some next- fresh nipple belt of some <laughs> kind in the next couple weeks. Next week is going to be rough, just telling oh, you guys. <laughs> No. Speaking of fresh nipple belt. <laughs> but, all right, here we go. So this week, not so bad, but interesting. Also, shout out to our fan picker who suggested this case because it's awesome. So Eric Prokopi was born in 1976 and grew up Copycat. outside of Tampa, Florida. Oh, he's from Florida? He's from Florida. Mm-hmm. Oh, gorgeous this time of year. They got the COVID pretty bad, though. <laughs> they should do. They should do. Yeah. They have a lot of vaccines. <laughs> considering moving. Oh, so, yeah. If I go for a visit, like maybe I can get vaccinated. As a child, he fell in love with hunting for shark teeth, which led him to acquire a diving license at just 10 years old. Oh, my. Oh, God. Okay. Quick anecdote. Oh, no. <laughs> when I was in Florida, Florida. way back in early March 2020, it was literally the week that shit went down in the U.S. Yeah. Right. I was in Florida, Florida. Mm-hmm. And I, we went to like an outdoor farmer's market and there were just like, you know, crafts and wares and whatever. Mm-hmm. And a guy was selling shark teeth that he had like divin for, mm-hmm. dove for. Mm-hmm. He found them. <laughs> it might have been this guy. He was, uh, maybe... He wasn't in Tampa, though. He was in Santa Maria Island. But apparently shark, like, shed their teeth all the time. Like, there's a shitload of shark teeth in the ocean. It's not that hard to find. And actually, I found a tiny little baby one that was, like, this little little, little big, like a quarter of an inch long. That's so cute. On the beach. Yeah. Apparently, this has been a real, or 2020 was a really bad year for shark attacks. Yeah, I saw that. Meaning there weren't that many shark attacks? No, there were a lot more deaths. (laughs) 
from Shark Attack. <laughs> it's a bad year. Shark Attacks are down. It's Too a bad low. year. If you <laughs> if you bought Shark Attack stock, if you bought GameStop stock, you're in good shape. But if you put all your money in Shark that Attack, that was a yeah. fair question. You were misled. It. it was a terrible year for Shark Attacks. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so, fair. You yeah, fair. Okay. So <laughs> Eric's mother was a homemaker who had formerly been a competitive swimmer and she would often accompany young Eric on river expeditions as he searched for shark teeth and other underwater treasures. Ooh, wow, you got to have a lot of money treasure. to invest in a 10-year-old's scuba diving yeah, license. Scuba diving is so expensive. Yeah. If it gets them out of your house, I will give any amount of money. Can't talk underwater. Go. (laughs) (laughs) Have fun in the ocean. Bye. Oh, my God. (laughs) Gay cock and off and yum. (laughs) I know what that means. Because of today. Go shit in the ocean. Yep. I'm fluent in Yiddish. In in Yiddish. There it is. In Yiddish. (laughs) Yiddish. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> while still a teenager, Eric began making money selling the fossils he found, but he still ultimately viewed this as a hobby and not something that one could make a serious career out of necessarily. Well, he's 10. Well, he's a teenager now, but yeah. You know what he's got to do? Get he's a pop-up 10. tent, go to the outdoor farmer's market on Santa Maria Island. Start hawking shark teeth. <laughs> right. Well, he will. Pull your weight. So the turning point came when Eric was 16 years old. He was watching the news and saw the story of Sue Hendrickson, a woman who was out hunting for amber specimens in South Dakota when she wandered away from a group of geologists. She was was eaten by a shark. (laughs) And found a perfectly preserved T-Rex skeleton. Close. Got it. Close. What, just like laying on the soil? Or was she I, digging? The, I always wonder that same thing. That like, where I are you know. fucking just finding this well, shit? Well, she's she's looking for amber specimens, so, so maybe she's she was kind of digging around. Bit. She's rooting um, around. Yeah, yeah. Wandering away from the group is always a good move. It's always worth it. Yeah, especially every a group time. Of it's never right? gone badly. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> Following the discovery of the T-Rex, which was given the name Sue in her honor. (gasps) Oh, that's cute. A dinosaur named Sue. Sue. I've seen Sue. Have you in South Dakota? Or wherever they're displayed? I don't know. She's in Chicago. Yes, you're right. You're right. Because next sentence. Oh, okay. A legal battle ensued and eventually ownership was... And ah, did they sue? <laughs> and eventually ownership was awarded to the rancher whose property it had been found on. Mm-hmm. And then the rancher sold it to the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago. Oh, that yeah. tattling town. For $8.4 <laughs> million. So it pays that to have... tattling town. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> Let me show you around. That's so, yeah. <laughs> So, so, even though Sue Hendrickson was not the one who ultimately benefited financially from her discovery, the story left an indelible impression on young Eric. Well, she's got a fucking dinosaur named after her. Don't, you know, (laughs) Sue's 
can't be choosers, okay? (laughs) He realized that just by doing what he was already doing, so walking around outside and looking carefully. Being banished from his home by his own family. (laughs) Got it. It was possible to find something much more impressive (laughs) than the small fossils he was used to. Don't come home till you find Find a dinosaur. (laughs) Something worthy of getting your name on it, okay? (laughs) If you find a dinosaur, get the money first. First. That (laughs) corboite crap. I could totally see my dad just shooing me outside and going, don't come home till you find a dinosaur. (laughs) And like, I'd find a dinosaur. You fucking totally would. (laughs) I wanted wanted to come home. (laughs) I'm hungry. So Eric. Eric, Cold. (laughs) Eric considered or continued selling the fossils he found throughout high school and college. And... (laughs) My cat's bald. Help, help me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, okay. my God. No, we're, you gotta we're not going to back to that things. place. You we gotta are, listen I can't to go back. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> and after graduation, he started his own, com- quote, commercial paleontology business called Florida Fossils. He does not have, like, an advanced degree in paleontology. He just called his business this. wonder if this you is You also the don't same need man. one to have a store like that. One of the people in my case mm-hmm. just, like, has a fossil, like, yeah. museum. Not mm-hmm. a paleontologist. Yeah, yeah. Just wants the tax write-offs. <laughs> a few years later, in spectacular Florida fashion, Eric married a SeaWorld dolphin trainer. Oh, I thought you were going to a dolphin. <laughs> that no, is he a did couple. go for his own species. A fossil, a, a fossil, a fossil finder, and a SeaWorld yeah. dolphin trainer. It's like if um, Kate Hudson and. Matthew McConaughey did like one more rom com together. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, this is like super nineties Florida guy Ken and, and Barbie. She's the SeaWorld dolphin trainer. Yeah. And it's two thousand two. I want this. I know. Ten fossils I hate about you. <laughs> How to lose a guy in ten fossils. <laughs> the skeleton fossil. <laughs> paleontology i hate about you <laughs> okay so <laughs> the two made money also by uh flipping houses so oh, again i just hate like them the ultimate so Florida much i hate them she and loves my- flippers get it <laughs> <laughs> Get it, Amanda? No. Get it? Explain it. <laughs> Explain and, it. And by using eBay to sell artifacts that Eric had either found himself or acquired from trade shows. Fine. In the early years, the artifacts that he sold through Florida Fossils were not the type that commanded high prices. Most things sold for between $10 and $50. Mm-hmm. So it's like a lot of fucking shark teeth and whatever. And But eventually, he began traveling, first within the U.S. and then outside it, to find more lucrative artifacts. Mm -hmm. Soon, his prices inched up into triple digits. All the while, he was developing a good reputation on eBay for the quality and condition of his products. So Mm -hmm. he's building a little business for himself. Love it. Love it. Love it. Way to never grow out of your 10-year-old shark tooth phase. Right? Dreams do come true. 
That's like Jack Horney or whatever his name was. The man that I love. Jack Horner. Jack Horner. <laughs> Jack Horney. Jack. The man I'm horny for. Jack Horney. <laughs> they, one of the questions was like, how did you get into paleontology? And he was like, I don't know. I was a sixth, sixth grade boy once. I yeah. never grew out of never it. Grew yeah, out everyone of it. starts in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> By the mid 2000s, when this screenplay was greenlit, he had begun re- regularly trading in small dinosaur artifacts, such as Tyrannosaurus tail vertebrae, that he sold for $410 a pop. Wow. But by now, the Procopies had increasing expenses, and the combined income of flipping houses and selling these smaller fossils was just not cutting it. It's not keeping up. Not up to snuff. Eric decided he'd need to find something bigger. And remarkably, within a few years, it seemed that Procopi had succeeded beyond his wildest dreams. He found that dick. (gasps) That... At a 2012 natural history auction that was put on by the Dallas-based company called Heritage Auctions. The Dallas Cowboys. This is a Dallas-based company, but it was being held in the neighborhood of Chelsea in Manhattan. So, like, where rich buyers are, basically. Mm -hmm. The star attraction of the day was an item or a specimen being sold by Eric Prokopi. Oh, shit. It was a nearly complete 70 million year old skeleton of a Tarborosaurus batar, which is a cousin of the Tyrannosaurus rex. 70 million years. I can't even like fathom that amount of time. I don't even Isn't that how long we've had COVID on planet Earth? (laughs) (laughs) Almost. We're coming up on our 70 million year anniversary. I'm actually looking at my charts. Tarborosaurus batar. Actually fairly recent. Oh, God. I'm sure anything that's in the millions of years is considered recent. But to our human minds, that's a lot. It's wild. That's too much. So he's, this is, it's 2012. It's up at auction. It's the biggest piece up at this auction. It's his. It's this fucking almost complete dinosaur. I just Googled what is 70 million years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Africa and South America were connected. They were buds. (laughs) They were roommates still. Yikes. Okay. So Prokopi had spent almost two years meticulously restoring and mounting this dinosaur skeleton. Wow. Like mounting it to display, not mounting it, it for yeah. his own pleasure. We get it. Mm-hmm. And we will get to where the specimen came from and how he acquired it in a moment. A journalist named Paige Williams attended the event to cover the sale of the Tarborosaurus batar for the New Yorker. And then this journalist Williams went on to write a, a really lengthy profile of Prokopi and Then this eventually became a book, so that's where a lot of this information comes from. Got it. The auctioneer introduced the eight-foot-tall skeleton by announcing that, quote, it can fit in all rooms 10 feet high, so it's a great decorative piece. Oh, my God. (laughs) For your Chelsea apartment. But actually, you're speaking my lang. I mean, I want it. (laughs) I mean, what a fucking... 
You go over to somebody's house for like the third date where they're cooking you dinner and there's just a full dinosaur in the middle of their place. I'll give you 300 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. So the bidding for the Tarborosaurus Batar opened at $875,000. Oh, that's it? I was expecting more, honestly. So like a few years before this, he's selling shit for like $10. Shark teeth on a Florida beach. Yeah. 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 (laughs) To make necklaces out of. (laughs) He's one of those guys who when you walk by, he grabs your wrist and starts making the shark tooth necklace on you and you can't get away. And now you yeah. just own a shark tooth necklace and you I never wanted it ever. Punched yeah. one of those people in they the face. They made the decision for me. Mm. <laughs> so the bidding opens and then in a moment of high drama, the Always. auctioneer was interrupted in the middle of the bidding by an attorney named Robert Painter announcing that he had just received a phone call from a judge and the auction needed to be halted. There was a moment that was like, if anyone objects to this union. If anyone objects to this dinosaur sale. I object! (laughs) (laughs) So it turned out that Painter was a Texas-based lawyer who had been retained by the Mongolian government. Oh, wow. And the previous day, he had gotten a state district judge in Dallas to sign a restraining order to stop the Dallas-based company, Heritage Mm. Auctions, from selling the dinosaur on the grounds that it had been stolen from Mongolia. He stole a dinosaur? (laughs) Additionally, the judge had just found out that this order of his had been ignored and the auction had started, and so the judge was none too happy about it. Pissed. Pissed. The sale of Prokopi's dinosaur had come to the attention of the Mongolian government almost by accident. Oh, God, they could have never found out that it all yeah. would have gone off without a hitch. Yeah. Like the movie Hitch. <laughs> there were plenty of hitches in that movie, but yeah. The lips, the allergic reaction. <laughs> oh, I, I need to rewatch Hitch. <laughs> Two days before the auction, a Mongolian paleontologist who was living in New York, so a Mongolian female Ross Geller, yep. saw... <laughs> A news segment about the dinosaur and suspected that the bones had been taken from her country, mm-hmm. which forbids the commercial export of fossils. Mm-hmm. I got a similar thing going on with mine. Mm-hmm. Even though Heritage Auctions listed the skeleton's or- origin vaguely as from, quote, Central Asia. <laughs> Somewhere over there. Yeah. What the fuck is Central Asia? This, <laughs> this part. Yeah. Keep up. Yeah, they knew exactly what map. they were doing. <laughs> they didn't want to say Mongolia right, and like tip anyone off. Because it would come up off. in Google searches. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Mongolia is real like, sketchy about it. Northern Asia, whatever. They weren't caring about getting it right. They just wanted it to be a general. I just right. don't like it. No, of course not. It's horrible. So the bones had a specific off-white coloring that is so distinctive to dinosaur bones from a certain region of Mongolia. Interesting. So I'm guessing it has to do with like soil conditions or maybe like the age of the stuff found there. Sure. Whatever. So it was distinctive enough that this paleontologist saw it on the news and was like- That's from Mongolia. That's fucking Mongolian. I know that yellow soil is Weird. Yeah. Don't tap thing. your last season Prada shoes at me, honey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, 
fat moment for a, a paleontologist lawyer is just an absolute thrill. Every paleontologist lawyer's dream. Yeah. yeah. Honey, I shop at the real, real. I know. I know a Mongolian fossil when I fucking see it. So the paleontologist had this hunch and she trusted it. And she reached out to her government contacts back home. And with only two days until the scheduled sale at the auction, they decided to do what they could to stop it and wow. recover their alleged stolen property. Oh, the drama. In addition to hiring the lawyer for legal assistance, they also reached out to press to spread the story that the skeleton had been illegally removed from the country and to multiple dinosaur experts to verify the bone's origin. So they were like, we have to do all of this simultaneously in only two days. Yep. We're doing this. Probat. Heritage Auction's official response to the controversy was, quote, Although we appreciate your concerns, it is our conclusion that no impropriety exists. Mongolia won its independence in 1921, and this specimen is quite a bit older than that. Oh, my. (laughs) Sir, I hate you. Yeah. Jesus. So... Sir, your exploitation of a country. Exactly. So I think what they were trying to say, if we were to give them the benefit of the doubt, is that they're claiming this specimen left Mongolia before 1921. Sure, but it's a pretty cheeky and shitty way of presenting that argument. It's not how dinosaurs work. Work, yeah. Right. And it's also like they didn't provide any proof of that. Yeah. Show no. me the receipts. And also like... If that isn't what they meant and they just meant the spe- the bones and the specimen itself is older than 1921, then they can absolutely go fuck themselves. Right. That's no still shit. Not how this dinosaur trade not fossil helpful. thing works right. at right. all. God. So online petitions began circulating very quickly against the sale with withering comments from <laughs> withering Joe- heights. <laughs> Joe Schmo. <laughs> like, quote, Fossils belong in museums where everyone can see and learn from them, not in some rich, fat douchebag's mansion or in some Wall Street office. Well, I <laughs> love oh, that. shit. I have several fossils. <laughs> and I but am not nothing like if this. not a rich, fat douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> so this holds up. <laughs> On the day of the auction, Painter, the lawyer, continued trying to interrupt the sale while the auctioneer defiantly ignored him and continued asking the audience for higher bids. Stop so he's, steal. He's, he's literally like, I have a judge's order. Like, stop. Stop. Yeah, and the no. auctioneer was like, and we've got one million dollars. Do I hear one million dollars? Like, isn't that wow. crazy? It's like a dramatic a scene. That's yeah. ballsy. This um, is my like nose the red violin. violin. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that movie. That's the best movie on the planet. <laughs> it's so good. The best. There's sex in it. So the lawyer was eventually escorted out by security from the auction house. (laughs) No! And the Tarborosaurus, whatever, sold for slightly over a million dollars to a Manhattan real estate developer. That guy's about to be pissed when he gets his fucking Mm -hmm. Tyrannosaurus confiscated (laughs) by the Mongolian government. I'm picturing Painter to be a better call Saul. Yes, that's kind of what I'm picturing, too, actually. 
And the real estate developer planned to display it in the lobby of his waterfront office on Manhattan's west side. So, like, exactly what people were saying. Yeah, that is the epitome of douchebaggery. He oh, jerks gonna, like, off hang to it every morning. On it to dry or whatever. No, he's gonna <laughs> jerk off to it. Probably. But there the is s- a cat hair in my nose. <laughs> lucky? No, not lucky. <laughs> but the sale was almost immediately overturned due to the legal battle. No shit. Yeah, Tracy- didn't see that coming from a male. From a male. Tra- tracing exactly how Prokopi had come to be in possession of the skeleton proved to be complicated, but it was definitively established that he had received the bones in multiple shipments that were mixed in with other fossils uh-huh. from a contact in England who listed the bones' origin as Great Britain and their value at $15,000 on a customs form when they mm-hmm. went up for auction starting at $875,000. Fucking smuggle mm-hmm. daddy. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. gross. Prokopi had already tried and failed to sell the skeleton at a trade show, and he was turned down by multiple other auction houses before Heritage took the sale, probably because everybody fucking knew it was. Yeah, I was like, I'm fuck. not going near that. It's just going to get fucking confiscated. Yep. However, several fossil hunters who spoke to the press expressed shock that Prokopi believed he could get away with selling the Tarborosaurus batar as they had known immediately <laughs> upon seeing it that there was no way he was in possession of it legally. Mm-mm. Oh, dang. One of these fossil hunters further explained that although there had been a flourishing black market in Mongolian dinosaur parts for years, <laughs> many people like participated in this. There was sort of an unspoken understanding that in order to like continue flying under the radar you couldn't sell anything flashier than a skull mm-hmm. what's flashier than a dinosaur skull well a, a skull- whole fucking dinosaur yeah exactly oh, a yeah. christmas tree size yeah intact dinosaur skeleton <laughs> flashier <laughs> i will say in animal crossing though when i get my fossils assessed by blathers I will go through and make sure that there's nothing that attractive before I, know, I sell them. To because I like to d- decorate my whole island with all my good fossils. Yeah, there's some good fossils. You can get the poop too in that game. I keep the amber, I keep the poop, I keep Amber's anything good. on like a flat panel. Skulls are good. Yep. I don't like the skulls because I like the they're skulls. always up on the things. Sometimes there's like a prehistoric, like early man skull that isn't oh, true. mounted. I have those in my graveyard. You okay. have to build an archaeo- uh, well, no, a paleontological dig area where you can display. Come check I out really my island. Do. Oh, I, I haven't visited in so long. Happening. I know, it's been too long. Come on down, honey. Okay. Anyway, what were we talking about? So Mongolia's <laughs> government, <laughs> how many bells did he get for it? Yeah, seriously. Well, 80,000. <laughs> Turnips. I have no idea. Mongolia's government. Turnips. <laughs> Isn't there something with turnips? Yes. Yeah, that was really embarrassing for you. I'm like, yeah, I, I wouldn't <laughs> gloss over that if I were you. Oh, wow. yeah, John, so cut that. Just kidding. <laughs> Don't expose her to the world. <laughs> so, so Mongolia's government requested that the U.S. further investigate the origin of the Tarborosaurus batar, the T-bone, the T-bone. And Heritage complied with the investigation by allowing a team of experts to inspect the bones. Their opinion was unanimous. The dinosaur could only have come from Mongolia. They're yeah. yellow. Yeah. They're, they're fucking yellow. Ye- yeah, they, they're, they're marked. <laughs> they are J-Simp. 
pumps. Mm. <laughs> oh, they're banana yellow. <laughs> so two weeks after the auction, the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York sued for custody of the dinosaur on behalf of the country of Mongolia. And he was only awarded joint custody. But <laughs> <laughs> he could only no. have her on weekends. <laughs> the joints were all gone. <laughs> Joints are soft tissue. Oh, my God. You're right. (laughs) Weirdly, procedural norms required that an arrest warrant be issued in order for New York to get custody of the bones. So the case became known as the United States of America versus one Tyrannosaurus Batar skeleton. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I love that case name. And anyone involved in this could put Bone Collector on their resume. Ooh. Ooh I love also, that book. don't you remember that case of the photographer who's like a wild monkey got a hold of his camera oh, and took yeah. its own picture? And it's like, no, the monkey has the, the rights the monkey to distribution. the monkey retained the rights to the yeah. image. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my some, God. The case yeah. name was something like that. Yeah. yeah. So good. Meanwhile, Eric Procopi was far from giving up. He hired lawyers and made an official legal claim on the dinosaur. Honey, no. Yeah. To the press, he refused to disclose any information about how he had come to be in possession of it and tried to portray himself as a completely oblivious, like, you know, amateur. scuba diver who lives in Florida. Which, like... I mean, you are an oblivious scuba diver who lives in Florida. Saying things like, quote, I'm just a guy trying to support my family, not some international bone smuggler. I'm just a guy standing in front of a bone. (laughs) What? Am I a suspect? (laughs) But also, if you're smuggling bones internationally, that makes you an international bone smuggler. Yeah. Yeah. He also often seemed dismissive of Mongolia's claim on the skeleton, stating, quote, it's not like antiquities where it's somebody's heritage and culture and all that. Oh, my God. Um, yes, it fucking is. Yeah. It's literally the Earth's antiquities. antiquities from yeah. that specific region. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I hate white I don't people. like this guy. He was not <laughs> the man I met in Florida. <laughs> You've changed. You've changed. <laughs> Sir. Initial hearings in the case. Florida, who made me a shark tooth necklace? It was a keychain. Of course, it was. Don't have your name on it. No. Initial hearings in the case. Spring for the monogram. (laughs) In the United States of America versus one Tyrannosaurus Batar skeleton, (laughs) attempted to establish how exactly the dinosaur had ended up in. U.S., Holy but Prokopi's lawyer was extremely evasive on the topic. Oh, well, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Judge, how did he acquire it? Lawyer, he purchased it. <laughs> <laughs> Judge, where did he purchase it? Lawyer, multiple sources. The internet. <laughs> Judge, what sources? <laughs> lawyer, from dealers who sell dinosaur parts. <laughs> Judge, where are they located? Lawyer, some of them are in Japan, I believe. I don't know where all of them are. (laughs) Yes, you fucking do. It's your job job. to know. Yeah. You soups do. (laughs) Sir. (laughs) Judge, you soups do. (laughs) Lawyer. Uh. Lawyer, nah. Nah, you soups soups do. (laughs) 
judge, get the fuck out of my court. <laughs> I'm holding you in contempt. <laughs> uh, the lawyer also claimed that the bones had not even come from one dinosaur, but that it was a sort of Frankenstein's dinosaur that Prokopi we'll get had to it. created from multiple sources. Really? It, that's a thing. Okay. That's not uncommon, and my case is all about it. All right. Well, expert evaluations of this skeleton contradict this claim. So this was one fucking dinosaur. Which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Made it more valuable, too. Yep. Still, no solid evidence had emerged that would definitely establish that Prokopi had acquired the dinosaur in Mongolia. Then, in a remarkable coincidence, and I would say definitely an act of espionage. Oh, yes. <laughs> dinosaur espionage is my De- favorite kind De- of espionage. Fucking listen to this. Dinospionage. You know, remarkable coincidence. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some Mongolian travelers happened to be staying in the same New York hotel as Prokopi. Uh-huh. And they overheard a man in the lobby loudly discussing something about a dinosaur on his phone. So Mongolia was like. And they snapped a picture of him. Yeah. Mongolia is like, this white boy is going to talk. Go get two gins in him. They sent this <laughs> handful of He's people. He's going to squeal like a stuck pig. <laughs> you know he was. Oh, and yeah. And they just had to sit back and wait. Yeah. That you is know they sent those two Mongolians brilliant. there to like. Well, they didn't Follow break any him. laws. He sat, in a, he sat in a hotel bar and spouted also, off his bullshit. sending two Mongolian citizens to the U.S., to New York, to stay in a hotel, way cheaper than how much that dinosaur is worth. Oh, yeah. yeah. Worth oh, yeah. every penny to catch this also, motherfucker. Also, it's right off. Yeah. I just love totally them being right. like, in a remarkable coincidence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the photo made its way into the hands of the Mongolian investigators. Amazing. Whoa. Just two tourists taking pictures of a guy talking about dinosaurs and choosing to send that picture back to their I government. I overheard him say Mongolia and my <laughs> interests were piqued seeing as how my that's my hometown. ears perked up. So the investigators were trying to establish Prokopi's presence in the country, like if he had ever been in Mongolia. Mm-hmm. And this resulted in a Mongolian paleontologist giving a sworn statement that in <laughs> 2009, the man in the photograph had paid him $50 a day to help dig for dinosaur bones in the Gobi Desert. $50 a day mm-hmm. to dig? In the desert. No. 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 Frankly, you couldn't pay me enough to dig holes in a desert Anywhere. for a day. That's why I won't garden. <laughs> I know. No interest. Keep your shark teeth. I don't give a fuck. $50 um, a day. Hotel registries also show that Prokopi had visited Mongolia in both 2008 and 2011. Mm-hmm. Further evidence then continued to accumulate against Prokopi, including proof that he had changed the country of origin from Mongolia to Japan on a on shipment. The mm-hmm. <laughs> of one of the bones. Yeah. That motherfucker. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all knew he did it, but it's like, you little fucking rat. He did rat. Like, kind of a bad mm-hmm. job about it. Too. Oh, well, that's what yeah. makes me the most mad. Yeah. yeah. He was sloppy. He, he, he was sloppy because he was used to doing it for like less valuable stuff. Right. And he just tried to go too big. And, and these fuckers just assume they're not going to get caught. He yep. flew too close to the sun. He really sure. did. It's going to burn you. He 
was also previously caught trying to ship a Chinese micro raptor into <gasps> the U.S. Cute. By labeling it. Pigeon quote, from sa- yeah. chimney. <laughs> Sample of craft rock. What's craft Parmesan. He just I'm- lied about what was on the shipment. Micro raptor. This is yeah. gonna be so cute. When the skeleton was seized at customs, he blamed the quote mix up on a language barrier problem with the oh, shipper. Fuck him. Mm-hmm. What a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a micro raptor is still really big. <laughs> I kind of figured like it would be three feet tall. Oh, well, that's pretty big. They're kind Meanwhile, of terrifying. I'll like, drop a photo on the. Drive. I couldn't bring back a cowhide rug from South Africa. Yeah, how are these fuckers? How is I was like, it's just, through. it's from a cow. I was like, it's a cow. It's yeah. not a, it's not an endangered. They sell these at Ikea. Yeah, exactly. I just happened to have it here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had to give it to a friend. So in October 2013, Prokopi was arrested on three counts of smuggling. In another very unfortunate coincidence, a remarkable coincidence for Prokopi, as federal agents were searching his home for evidence of his crimes. Oh, no. What another, did this idiot have? Another UPS shipment arrived just then. No! <laughs> containing the bones of a Mongolian oviraptor. No! <laughs> While they were there. While they were there. They were like, yeah, we'll be fine for this. Yeah. My God. <laughs> From Mongolia, too. It's It has a return address. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I've dropped the micro raptor images on the drive. It's horrifying. Let me see. Oh, one is a ch- one is like a chart that shows how big it is compared to, to a, a person. Like an adult man. Yeah, and then one is like a, a rendering of what it might have looked like. It has feathers and it's eating a lizard and it has red oh, laser it, eyes. I it, love her. It, She's no, cute. It is I hate big it. when you get the wingspan involved. I hate it. I, I love I, it. I don't like that. Oh, that's really baby. freaky. Okay, so Prokopi was released on bail, but he had to surrender his passport. And he ultimately pled guilty to several customs-related crimes, a deal that required him to surrender his claim on the Tarborosaurus Batar and on several other dinosaurs that investigators had discovered when searching his home. And then he had to serve three months in prison. But That's how it. big was his place in New York? Did he was? Oh no, he wasn't living in New York. He was living in Florida. He yeah. just went to New York for this auction. Because I'm right. like, how big yeah, is your fucking place was. in New York to have several other dinosaurs, several dinosaurs in yeah. your home? In Florida, you got the space. <laughs> yeah, sir, and a yard. So he continued to be evasive about how exactly he acquired the dinosaur. All he would admit to is having the bones shipped to him using vague and misleading labels. The an Etsy store. The Prokopis sold their house and cars to cover the legal fees and for a time moved in with Amanda's mother, but the two soon divorced because the dolphin trainer was like, I'm okay with being complicit in SeaWorld's crimes, but not yours. (laughs) Well, and his crimes were the Mm money-making crimes. Now Mm -hmm. they're not going to serve her anymore. Mm -hmm. So, bye. Eric began making plans to revive his fossil business, but he has struggled to make a living since the T. Batar case because of the negative associations with his name. Kirk Johnson, the director of the Smithsonian Museum of Natural History, whom the that journalist Paige Williams interviewed for her piece, 
explained the complicated relationship between science and fossil hunters like Prokopi by noting that on one hand, the more people you have out searching for dinosaur bones, the more that will be discovered. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, quote, we want a path for the really important ones to loop into science. Right now, that path doesn't exist. And a fossil that has been separated from its geological context, such as location and strategy, stratigraphic position mm -hmm. which poachers do not document become far less significant to science exactly the it's, intersection like, it's like robbing tombs mm -hmm. well the intersection between geology and stratigraphy or whatever i said yeah. just like that you have to account for the entire mm -hmm. situation mm -hmm. it's not just the bones right it's mm -hmm. really shitty to just dig up the bones mm -hmm. and, and then and then lie about Im where they import from. them right what if You're he hadn't been caught and 200 years from now the only record that we have for this specimen exactly is this auction mm -hmm. and they have no idea where it came from yeah yeah or how old it is because they can't look at the rocks around it right or it's they're like oh he says up. it's from japan i guess this type what lived in japan mm -hmm. there's also i didn't include this in my notes but there is a like a like a theorem that's it has a name and i can't remember what it is but basically because there are so few fossils that exist today mm -hmm. then scientists and paleontologists have to assume that when a fossil is found and if they've determined that it existed in this specific the specific time, they have to assume that it existed a long time before then and a long mm -hmm. time after then, because mm -hmm. again, they might only have one mm -hmm. specimen that survived. So yeah. yeah, that's really shitty for people to go dig up what he might have dug up was what, the only one that still exists, we'll also, and now we don't learn any fucking thing about this creature. It is ever shitty again, but we'll kind of get to it in my case too, though, because. There's mm -hmm. a it's like this guy who bought this from a trader to sell it for a profit is the ultimate shitty one because it perpetuates mm -hmm. a, like a market. Yes. Oh, and yeah. we, it's and we'll get to this, that. It's not just this pro 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 pokey guy. Right. Pro so like the individuals that are involved. doing the digging are yeah. the ones who are jumping at any opportunity to make potentially fifty dollars US mm -hmm. a day. Right. Because they're already so exploited and have so few options to, like, s feed their families and right. shit. Of course. Same so, like, reason to not buy ivory. Yes. Just don't buy it's it. Like, it's these fucking, no it's these smuggling right. fuckers yeah. that are creating this market and right. then maintaining the labor. Like, it's bonkers and we will fucking get to yeah. it. And like so, I said, I myself have... Several fossils, but Same. they're they're just I have the, those they're little, the ammonites, the little fish. No, they're not the a ones full that, fucking dinosaur. Exactly. Yeah. We they're have not the ones of that any are kind shells. of scientific significance. Right. Yeah, exactly. Dime a dozen. Okay, last bit. Dino dozen. <laughs> As for the tar Tarborosaurus batar, it was returned to Mongolia and put on display there where it was given the name Mongol Batar or yes. Mongolian Hero. Whoa. I Yay! I love that. Thank I you to that it. lawyer that was just like, stop the steal. Better call Saul. <laughs> well, and to that uh, Mongolian paleontologist who was mm -hmm. like, um, fucking no. 
And yeah. the two Mongolian it. definitely spies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> definitely spies. That just happened to be at that hotel bar Such that night. Such a random Love a Mongolian spy. So lucky. <laughs> All right. Randomly taking photos of strangers in the lobby and randomly and sending, sending them to the government. To their government. Well done. Bravo. All right. Let's nice job. It. Word from our sponsors. Yes, Lance. Before you leave the house, you do that checklist. You got your phone, your keys, your wallet, your mask. Well, maybe your mask. Mm-hmm. Might be time to add one more thing before you walk out the door. And in addition to your mask, you can keep yourself safe with Birdie. Mm-hmm. Birdie is the newest essential addition to your routine. Basically, it is a personal, like, safety alarm. Mm-hmm. And it's so convenient. And the thing that I love the most about Birdie, I can leave the house, I feel safe with it. Hopefully, I'll never have to really use it. But who knows? Life is full mm-hmm. of uncertainties. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculously easy to use. And it isn't something that you need to be afraid of, like, I don't know, a taser or pepper mm-hmm. spray or mace mm-hmm. or something that you can't really like try out until you're oh. in that moment. Right. I know I would pepper spray myself in the face. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it doesn't make you super confident to like ever use it, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. right. And that is what sets Birdie apart because I have tested this multiple times just to we, like get, yeah. get comfortable with it. We tested it right before we popped on to record these ads. We sure mm-hmm. did. Tell us more, Kenyon. Well, like Lucy said, Birdie is a personal safety alarm designed to be easy to carry and simple to use. It's like very lightweight. They come in fun colors. It comes with like a really strong uh, keychain. So I have one attached to my car keys. And then I also have one just like in my car. Um, When you activate your Birdie with a quick pull, the alarm will emit a loud 130 decibel siren and flashing strobe light to help deter an attack. And unlike pepper spray or other deterrents, Birdie is not a danger to you. So like Lucy said, you can feel confident to use it without the worry. And like when you're already in a stressful situation and like maybe feel some panic rising, you want to know quickly what to do and it's just Mm -hmm. so simple you just grab it and pull it's going to be loud it's going to alarm the attacker but it's not going to hurt you Mm -hmm. and if you already know how loud it is what it sounds like how to use it it's not it's not scary to you to use you are a hundred percent you know what to expect yeah you can Mm -hmm. feel confident and empowered to use it And Birdie goes wherever you do. So the alarm comes in multiple colors. I have a black one and I also have like a pretty teal one. You guys know how much we like teal. Mm -hmm. And um, it has a brass keychain that's like very strong and sturdy. So you can attach it to your keys or your bag. And over 300,000 Birdie alarms have been sold and they have thousands of five-star reviews. So join the flock today for a safer tomorrow. Yep, and right now, She's Birdie is offering our listeners 15% off your first purchase when you go to she'sbirdie.com slash gals. Go to She's Birdie, that's spelled S-H-E-S-B-I-R-D-I-E dot com slash gals for 15% off your first purchase. One more time, that's she'sbirdie.com slash gals. Treat your safety. Treat it. Not going to lie, one of my leave it all behind fantasies involves like moving one to Arizona. Yeah. 
selling rocks, uh-huh. crystals, fossils, letting my hair grow wild and just slowly uh-huh. going mad in the desert sun. Yeah. Just never owning a razor for the rest right. of your life. Can I yes. move in and be your platonic partner? Yes. Yeah, but like yeah. New Mexico, though. Right. Yeah, not Either Arizona. One. Go to New Mexico or Utah. Either one's fine. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I'm not going to Utah. Yeah, you're um, right. the liquor laws. Go to so, New Mexico. Yeah, sure. All right. So that's not the exact situation for Stephen Charkas because he lived in Utah. But as I project myself into his shoes, that's mm-hmm. how I picture him. So Stephen struck dino gold in 1999 while attending a fossil fair in Tucson, Arizona, which mm-hmm. I definitely went to one here in Minnesota with Scott and his mom pre-COVID. And it was fucking amazing. Go to a fossil fair. Aside from COVID, I go to the lapidary show yeah. in here in Des Moines every single year. It's Holy good. shit. It's so I cool. I never get to go anywhere or do anything. Guarantee well, the there's a lapidary did any show of these in things, You lived in Africa and now we have COVID. So your time will come. I'll, I'll look up a Louisville lapidary show. We got this. So he went to this fair hoping to find some pieces for his small and private museum back in Utah. So he stumbled upon something that he had never seen before. This was a very hush-hush word of mouth, like these mutterings of an extraordinary piece, and he could not keep himself from investigating. And actually, the rumors and mutterings about this missing link-level fossil had been churning for the last year, and Stephen couldn't believe that he might be in its actual presence. Missing link, like humanoid. Yeah. Well, I put missing link in quotes. It's that level, and we'll get to that. Okay, okay. We referenced that in this case. Okay. So he connected with this dealer, and now I can only imagine that entire scene from Broad City where Alana and her mom are on Canal Street getting the bags (laughs) in New York City, and they're like going down in the sewers. They throw her in the back of a truck. She speaks fluent Mandarin like all of a sudden. It's so fucking good. A lot of like twerks on the wall. Yeah. That's the same episode that Abby that guy. It's my favorite episode. It's such a good episode. It's so good. So the dealer that he connects with produces a sizable package, not micro raptor size. It's like a but foot. Sizable. But sizable. It'll get the job done. Exactly. It's wrapped discreetly in brown paper. And as he unwraps this foot long rock, Stephen is awestruck. This is a quote from the I'd Guardian. I'd be awestruck. This sounds like somebody unwrapped a foot long rock. Me too. Right? It's just, a, like- it's just a tuna sandwich from fucking... <laughs> fucking subway sounds like the what's it uh, precious gems or whatever the gem the gemstones the adam sandler oh yeah sure uncut Un- gems uncut gems mm-hmm. so from the guardian quote embedded in the stone were the fossilized bones of an extraordinary prehistoric animal with the complex limbs of a prototype bird and the distinctive tail of an earthbound dromaeosaur edged with the shadow of what seemed to be feathers It looked like a dinosaur that could fly, which is extraordinary because we'll kind of get to it. But it's like previously we'd found that there are there's evidence of dinosaurs with feathers, but not dinosaurs with feathers and like and the full construction to necessarily take flight. Okay, so this was like so bird like that it could be determined from these bones that not only was this a dinosaur that was feathered, but it could actually fly i thought that there were dinosaurs that could fly there were there were dinosaurs that could fly but it's not this it's like this the tail was like a land dwelling dinosaur it was a big one but the top half 
I mean, it's not even that it, big. It's just a specific tail to land-dwelling creatures, not okay. not creatures that could fly. But so the top like, half indicated it could fly. So it's okay. like the link like between... A, this is a dramatic comparison. Like a but the link between an alligator and a chicken. Yes, correct. Like That's it, can, what I, it can live in both worlds. Pretty much, yep. So he said later in an interview, this is Stephen, quote, it was stunning. I could see right away that it didn't belong on sale. It belonged in a museum. Mm -hmm. So like his intentions are pure. Mm -hmm. He's not trying to sell it to somebody else for mm -hmm. now. But well, he probably did. He didn't. He didn't. And, he, and oh, okay. he just found this on Canal Street. Pretty much. The Canal Street <laughs> of dinosaur bones in a sewer. His intentions are pure when it comes to not wanting to turn around and sell it. But Stephen gets... Steven gets shifty okay. in the future. Okay. You so know, the we'd all get shifty under that sure. amount of money. <laughs> so this piece was going for $80,000, which Steven certainly did not have in his bank account. But being a museum-like owner, he knew a few backers who would give him the cash to acquire the piece. So he jumped on it right away, and the dino bird was his. Wow. The origin of the piece was a story that dealers and collectors were familiar with. <laughs> Excuse me. The oh my God. <laughs> I know. I'm, it's the red wine is getting me today. <clears throat> I'm fine. <laughs> the origin of the piece was a story that dealers and collectors were familiar with. The piece had been found by chance, and well, not uh, not well, yes, by chance, but also not really by chance. Like these people are looking for dinosaur bones, mm -hmm. but had been found in China in 1997, where it was not uncommon for prehistoric evidence to emerge during shale pit digs by local farmers, mm -hmm. specifically in the area of Liaoning, Liaoning, a heavily industrialized and farmed province, where the legitimate discovery of the Sinosauropteryx, which is like the first known and legitimized feathered dinosaur, was discovered in 1996. This launched a literal fossil gold rush in that area with working class folks all over the province hoping to make discoveries of their own that would lift them out of poverty. Like, yeah. So it was really common in this area for small fossils to be pocketed and sold for a small fee. And though this was an illegal practice, because like you said, they can't leave the, the country mm -hmm. but it was just common and widely accepted and just sort of like ignored in the fossil trade industry when it was pieces that were smaller yeah, and they like didn't care teeth. as much about yep mm -hmm. so this is from cosmos magazine not Both, cosmos not magazine. cosmo cosmos. <laughs> cosmos thousands of farmers have become <laughs> quote bone diggers who find fossils and sell them to dealers although Which it is a type of dinosaur are you <laughs> Are you from Cosmos magazine? Duck build. Mostly bees. <laughs> Bee for duck build. Large herd. Although Large it is illegal, <laughs> their efforts continually yield new species. High quality fossils can sell for tens of thousands of dollars. So when your monthly earnings total a few dollars mm -hmm. or less, finding one is akin to hitting the jackpot. Yeah. So that just speaks to what I was saying earlier mm -hmm. about it's like you can't yeah, really blame poor rural people. And yeah. They're, yeah, digging this up. I mean, what difference to them is it if it's like a chunk of shiny right. rock or a fossil? So I don't blame the people who are it. actually digging it up. I blame the fucking mm -hmm. smugglers who are creating right. the, 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 the industry, basically. Well, the people mm -hmm. with the education to know better that, mm -hmm. like, we need to study where this came from. Yep. Without yeah. the demand, this supply chain dries up. So if they actually were accountable, this wouldn't mm -hmm. be happening. But anyway... 
The farmer who found this piece actually broke it during excavation and found other pieces nearby, so he cemented it together knowing it would go for a higher price as one block. He sold it in 1998 to an anonymous dealer who then smuggled it to the U.S., where our boy Stephen picked it up at the trade show in 1999. And they didn't notice the cement? No, they knew, but, like, that's not, again, that's not uncommon Uh when it's, like, you find pieces that are clearly go together. Mm -hmm. These, the folks who dig them up know that they're going to capture a bigger price, and the people who are buying it are like, well, someone's going to fucking buy it. Because the people who are buying it don't care about the science either. They care about the money. And the people who are digging it up don't care about the science they care about putting fucking food on their table Mm -hmm. so and then by the time it gets into the hands if it ever does of somebody who cares about the science they can typically extract it and and Mm -hmm. put it together the way it was meant to be put together yeah Mm -hmm. so he contacted uh, after steven bought it he contacted paleontologist phil curry who reviewed the piece and went straight to the biggest name in nature mag's national geographic cosmopolitan cosmos magazine (laughs) but actually nacho is my cosmo at this point sure (laughs) it was certainly a hit and a heretofore unknown species of dinosaur was named dinosaur the national geographic named it the archaeoraptor in a press release by national geographic in late 1999 unfortunately for steven Nat Geo also surmised that the piece had been illegally smuggled here and pledged to return it to the Chinese government after like after we figure out, you know, all the stuff about it. But Archaeoraptor <laughs> became an immediate star featured again in National Geographic as proof of the theories that dinosaurs were actually feathered and birds and birds as we see them today are descendants of the massive creatures. The article said she was, quote, a missing link between terrestrial dinosaurs and birds that could actually fly. So that's the thing. Like the mm-hmm. tail, the bottom yeah. half shows that it's land dwelling. The top half shows that they could fly. And it's here's like the- finding a fish with legs. Yep. There it is. Little stubs. Mm-hmm. But other paleontologists were not so convinced and actually pretty pissed at National Geographic for touting this groundbreaking, LOL, see what I did there, <laughs> discovery without properly, without properly <laughs> digging in, LOL, Uh-oh. to the research. So in Phil Curry's initial <laughs> assessment of the fossil, he had surmised that, quote from li- Wikipedia, the left and right feet mirrored each other perfectly and that the fossil had been completed by using both slab and counter slab. He also noticed no connection could be seen between the tail and the body. In July of 1999, Curry uh, and the Cherkis and mm-hmm. brought the fossil to the high-resolution X-ray CT facility of the University, uh, the University of Texas in Austin, founded and Radiology. operated by Dr. Radiology, forensic radiology, it all circles mm-hmm. back, operated by Dr. Timothy Rowe to make CT scans. Mm-hmm. Rowe, having made the scans on July 29th of 1999, determined that they indicated that the bottom fragments showing the tail and the lower legs were not part of the larger fossil. Mm. He informed Cherkus on August 2nd that there was a chance of the whole thing being a fraud. During a subsequent discussion, Rowe and Curry were uh, pressured by Cherkus to keep their reservations private yeah okay because he'd already f- <laughs> this already got the attention of national geographic he's like i want to ride fuck this, this fucking up way for me yeah so they already fucking so knew this journalism wasn't legit <laughs> well and nat geo shits the bet on this too and we'll get to it oh, like literally God. right now oh shit they already knew this wasn't legit and obviously things snowballed from there steven kept pushing even though other scientists he worked with also found evidence it wasn't legitimate 
Curry, the paleontologist, was looped in on those findings and did not bring that to the attention of National Geographic, who never got the fucking article peer-reviewed in the first place and honestly didn't want to look too deeply anyway because they wanted the clout of the scoop on this story and being the first to present it to the world. It's not a scoop if it's fucking if fake. If it's garbage. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe... It's a scoop of shit. Yeah. Maybe do some fucking research. So a separate scientific paper on the discovery was submitted to Nature magazine, who, boom, rejected it, called out Nat Geo for moving too fast on this announcement and wanted more scientific confirmation of its legitimacy. Mm -hmm. So good on you, Nature. Rejected by nature, they sent it to Science magazine, who submitted the piece for peer review. Rejected by nature, nature herself. <laughs> they kept trying. They kept fucking trying. So they go to Science Magazine, and Science Magazine is like, LOL, okay, we'll take it, and then submitted it for peer review to a bunch of scientists. <laughs> Within weeks of the National Geographic feature going live, these suspicions brewing and wow fucking actual peer review theories arose. Mm-hmm. Many began equating this with another not-so-real discovery that had become famous in the world of paleontology. In 1912, a discovery known as the Piltdown Man appeared in Sussex. It's named after the town in which it was found. Amateur archaeologist Charles Dawson claimed to have unearthed the missing link Mm -hmm. in Darwin's theory of evolution by finding a skull that was ape-like and human-like. He shared his discovery with Smith Woodward of the Natural History Museum, who went to task reconstructing the fragments and, quote, hypothesized that the find indicated evidence of a human ancestor living 500,000 years ago. Damn. They announced their discovery at a geological society. (laughs) Damn, I think. I mean, that's a long time ago for us. Let me consult my chart. I I always forget. I have to always look it up. Possibly. Yeah, 500,000 years. Where does that land? Oh, 500,000 years. Yeah. Okay, that's around when, like, the earliest humans were cooking mm-hmm. and clothing themselves. So, so it would have been huge. It would have been huge if it were real. Right. But it's also still not Homo sapiens. It's like the it's like the next tier back, which mm-hmm. is... Right, but that's exactly why this is so profound. The because genus. because yeah. the skull itself is hypothesized to be that transitional Right, so that skull. is that transitional link. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So they announced their discovery at a geological society meeting in 1912. For the most part, their story was accepted in good faith. However, in 1949, so we just are walking around assuming that's legitimate for, you know, decades, 30 fucking 37 years. years. Yeah. New dating technology called Tinder and Bumble (laughs) arrived (laughs) that changed scientific opinion on the age of the remains using fluorine tests, which I think you talked about earlier, Lucy, about like how they date some of these skeletons or whatever. But didn't talk about that. But I appreciate your credit. I thought maybe you did, but maybe you didn't. Whatever. <laughs> so Dr. Kenneth Oakley, a geologist at the Natural History Museum, discovered that the Piltdown remains were only 50,000 years old. Oh, oh it was just a little translation mix up. They just yeah. added that extra zero. It was just the, the period, the comma was moved yeah. over. I mean, it would be one thing if it were just that, but... Mm-hmm. This eliminated the possibility of the Piltdown Man being the missing link between humans and apes, as at this point in time, humans had already developed into their homo sapiens form. Yeah. As it turns out, 
Yeah. As it turns out, the pit down man was, or pilt down man, I don't, I don't know how to pronounce it. Pilt down. Pilton was a cut and paste job, and so was Archaeoraptor. And Stephen had been told this, that it was likely a composite of up to five different species, or at least three different species, and he just was keeping it to himself because he wanted to ride the wave. It was like bad taxidermy. Mm-hmm. It was a jackalope. It was yes. a jackalope. Literal jackalope. Oh, So no. then Mantelope. a Chinese research team from the Institute of Vertebrate Paleontology and Paleoanthropology traveled to Liaoning to get the final answer. While there, they surveyed the area in which this specimen was found, as well as interviewing the farmers who were digging in the area. Sure enough, they uncovered that the skept- what the skeptics believed, that Archaeoraptor was a combo of pre-existing species of dinosaur. Reacher Zhu Jing immediately shared his findings in an email, because it was the 90s, Stating, quote, after observing a, f- a new feathered dromaeosaur specimen in a private collection and comparing it with the Archaeoraptor, we concluded that Archaeoraptor is a composite. Though I do not want to believe it, Archaeoraptor appears to be composed of dromaeosaur tail and a bird body. Mm. Yeah, and that's just a fucking now, jackalope. It's a literal jackalope. <laughs> Hot, it's a Frankenstein's monster. Mm-hmm. And now National Geographic looked fucking amateur. Mm-hmm. They That's submitted no, and they submitted a retraction, but people were already pissed because that uh, that issue went out. Yeah. And scientists are like, "What the fuck do you think you're doing, yeah. announcing this shit when you haven't even had this peer reviewed by other scientists?" Yeah, including one such Stores Olson, mm-hmm. an ornithological expert, whatever the fuck that is, Birds. for the Smithsonian. Bird Sure, whatever the fuck that is. In Washington. He said in an interview, quote, National Geographic. Are you horny for him? I'm not horny for him. (laughs) I'm actually really not. He's kind of a mess, but God bless him. National Geographic, he says, glorified this illicit specimen with their article. I told them they should close the exhibition and conduct their own investigation. They just stonewalled. They ignored all the contrary evidence and gave it to a campaign of propaganda. It's completely bogus. There's no such thing as a feathered dinosaur. It's like saying Elvis Presley is on the dark side of the moon. It's like saying bird is the word. Yeah. (laughs) So many scientists disagree that there is, quote, no such thing as a feathered dinosaur. So, like, chill, (laughs) sir. Right. Your birds. You're being outraged about the wrong part of this. You have me (laughs) until there's no such thing as a feathered dinosaur. You should have stopped that. Everybody knows China doesn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's like someone's making really good points, and then also they side with QAnon, and you're like, (laughs) God damn it, you were so close. Fuck. So close. (laughs) It, It couldn't be this old because the earth is flat. Clearly. It's like us trying to understand how fossils are made. <laughs> right. We're so close. So close, but at least we we're not- We have the best of intentions. At least we're not we're getting not close there. and then just giving in to Pizzagate theories. We're only 50,000 years off. Barely. <laughs> so Let me consult my chart from Wikipedia. You have been only consulting your chart this whole time. <laughs> just keep the chart open. I did. It's on a different tab. So, like I said, many scientists disagree that there's, quote, no such thing as a feathered dinosaur, but they certainly all agree that the Archaeoraptor is 
chicken shit. Aww. And National Geographic is certainly problematic for a few reasons, including its depictions of quote unquote third world countries. No, we can't and this say situation that. showed that's why I put it in quotes. I right. know. Developing. Yeah. I'm just yeah. saying Nagio calling them. Nagio, we shouldn't say that. Nagio no, no. shouldn't say that. And this situation showed the true colors of the spot that Nat Geo is in as a franchise, trying to balance between being like a scientific journal and being but really they're just a fucking popular magazine that wants mm-hmm. to sell headlines. And so they fucked up yeah. big time. Yeah. And the senior editor who wrote the piece back in the 90s, Christopher Sloan, looked like a total joke. Reflecting on this incident after the fact, he's no longer employed by National Geographic. Mm-hmm. He said, quote, it's a big disappointment, which hasn't happened since I've since I've been here. Like, I think he was trying to say hadn't happened while I was there and now hasn't happened again after since I left. But for a senior editor, he sounds like a fucking weirdo. <laughs> not great we take a lot of pride in our work and we we go to great lengths to research every word and every picture yeah okay well clearly not he remains the butt of the worst thing that's happened in the pleistocene area era holocene but yes i get what i get where you're going the chart (laughs) sir Your chart. It's also Pleistocene, I think. Pleistocene. I nailed Pleistocene. it. <laughs> nailed it. Nailed it. So Sloan remains the butt Feathered of the joke. It. With another co- collector chuckling, quote, I just saw a small bird with teeth and its skull and a tail. This one definitely has a tail. I called to tell Chris Sloan about it, but he hasn't called me back. Oh, that's such <laughs> a bad dad joke. <laughs> That's an actual quote from oh, like, such a, bad a dinosaur a enthusiast. Dick. <laughs> I called to tell Chris Sloan about it, but he hasn't called me back. This makes me want to subscribe to like the paper, Every dinosaur the paper magazine? edition of Nat Geo. Yeah. I'm a big fan of National Geographic. Well, so every this once in a while they can fuck up. It's well, okay. yes, of course. It's science. It's yeah. It's yeah. it's evolutionary, but essentially they slapped like a turducken on their yes. cover, and were like I a mean, jackalope. Also, as a person who has worked in magazine publishing, right, there are certain thresholds that you're supposed to meet in order For to sure. sell ads. So I understand at him as like the editor in chief or whatever the fuck he was like. A lot of different people Dif- different, make that decision. Different mm-hmm. types of pressure, also. Yeah, and then you're like a lot of there's a, there, there's probably a very thin line between like the commercial magazines that I worked at and like National Geographic. Well, and like National Geographic isn't like it's it, not a scientific journal. It's it a, isn't. it's a crossover. It's the cosmopolitan magazine they of nature. They still have to sell ads. Exactly. So they they right. do get. Yeah. I'm not like again. I actually think that Nat Geo is kind of problematic but they are in a tricky position when it comes to stuff like this where it's like oh this is a potentially enormous discovery Mm -hmm. this is going to sell magazines we don't actually have to get fuck all peer-reviewed because you think they're Mm -hmm. peer-reviewing at fucking vogue i mean actually probably they probably are because they're amazing but anyway no it's like they're they're not here reviewing at vogue well you don't know they're but but nat geo isn't under the like very specific and particular umbrella of this is a scientific Mm -hmm. journal of published works that have to be peer-reviewed there's a, published. there's a big difference between peer-reviewed right. journals and yeah. something like a consumer magazine, right. which is National Geographic yeah, at its correct. heart. So. Exactly. So they 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 fucked up and they looked really stupid, but like 
I mean, we we do our best and we fuck up. We have a lower threshold because we're not journalists, but like we fuck up and yeah, it happens. Well, when I discover the next dinosaur, I'm <laughs> going to Vogue. It's 29 bucks for a year for print and digital. That's Go a get great it. deal. I'm getting it. All right. Well, Port well peer-reviewed journalism. Yes. And, and also National Geographic. <laughs> oh, God. No, I'm not giving that endorsement. Well, very thanks special. Thanks for listening. Very special thanks to our fan picker, Lexi Haranda. Ooh. Um, thanks, Lexi. This thanks, was fun. Lexi. This was this really This was not a Haranda's episode like no. I thought it might be. Oh, it wasn't. Jesus. I, I get scared of the science episodes because I never fucking know what's going on. You don't get it. But them. we crushed it. Yeah. Fucking dug it out of the park. All right. Well, we will see you next week on that note. (laughs) Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kala Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support and get a shout out on air, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers! Cheers!